Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Music Biz Weekly Podcast, brought to you by HypeBot.com. Big fans, and thank Me you too. to everybody Love over them. at HypeBot, Bruce, everybody for all your support. Um, we got a special guest joining us today, Jay. Yes, we do. We have the CEO and chairman of Venue, and uh, Zach is here to tell us a little bit about the uh, Instant Live Space. Zach, welcome to the show. Hey guys, how are you? Thanks for joining Great, us. Great, how are you? Thanks for uh, having me on. I, I enjoy the show, so uh, this is a, a little honor for me. So, Thank so let, 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 let me let me first say, as a as a music and concert fan, I love it when any artist offers any sort of instant live recording where I can walk out of that show and buy the recording of what I was just at. Coolest yeah, thing awesome. in the world. Coolest thing in the world to be able to do that. Very cool. So what kind of products do you offer? I mean, is it, does it come on a flash drive, CD? Do they, you know, you download it, stream it? What, what's a typical kind of process for someone? If I go to the show and one of my favorite bands is playing and you're working with them, how does that work? Yeah, so um, a little, just a small amount of history for you. I'm also the president sure. of a called uh, Disc Live. Yep. And Disc Live is widely regarded as kind of the pioneer in space. We started doing this back in late 2003, early 2004. And uh, over those years, it was primarily uh, high quality CDs and USB drives and digital downloads and things like that. Um, Venue is kind of the next iteration where what we're doing is we're kind of putting everything under an umbrella of, of Venue. So we've got the, the Disc Live um, product line, which is a physical, uh, you know, USBs and CDs and things like that, collectible products, if you will, um, uh, through a, a, what's a license agreement right now. I think we'll eventually we'll acquire Disc Live into Venue. Um, we recently acquired another digital platform called Set.fm uh, from Pledge Music, um, and Set.fm allows us to deliver concerts. Uh, directly to your mobile device after the show. So you can walk out with it, you can hit a button and download the entire show, you know, as you're, as you're walking out. Um, so what we really like to be able to do is to deliver that content, how the consumer wants to actually consume that. Uh, we don't currently do streaming, but the video iteration of, um, of set.fm that we're going to be implementing will probably be a streaming platform versus a download platform, which is what we do currently with that. So with is, audio. sorry to interrupt you, but is set FM, is that video or video and audio? Currently set FM is uh, strictly audio, uh, but we are moving that to uh, a video platform as well. You know, I, so we plan, there's, go ahead, sorry. I was, I was just going to say, I've got so many questions about this space, and I think as 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 one of these geek fans who wants to know how things work, what's behind right. the scenes, first question is, what are the technical challenges? Uh, you know, recording isn't necessarily the technical challenge. It's how do you get a recording of a quality that you can you can walk out of a venue that's that's going to make the artist happy. How does it get mixed, mixed properly? You know, right. everything that levels. gets done, the level set, because, you know, yeah, you know, mo mo most bands, you know, can take a live, if they're going to do a live album, we know this as a fact, that live album may not necessarily be live anymore because they've been in the studio and they've done overdubs and they wanted to tweak this and fix that. How do you deal with that when it comes to 
the artist. The fan doesn't really care if the little hiccups are there. We kind of love the little hiccups. But the artist, right, exactly. does, the artist doesn't want to hear the, oh, my God, my guitar was out of tune. I'm not letting this recording go out. How do you deal with that? So um, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, when we really first started doing this back in, you know, when we commercialized it back in 2004, our first big artist that we worked with um, uh, are the Pixies. So we did, um, if you remember the series of comeback shows in 2004, yep. uh, they were playing smallish venues. Uh, we were literally selling 500 CDs a night in 1,000-seat venues. It was insane. Um, and what we were doing then, and this has evolved somewhat, is we would uh, work with the front of house engineer. We would take some ambient microphones that we placed in the venue. Uh, sometimes we would take a matrix. Sometimes it would be strictly a stereo board feed off the board directly into to our system where we would apply a small amount of mastering to it and then you know, put it out on our CD or USB drives or whatever. Um, as we started to gain steam, uh, we determined early on that that wasn't going to be um, um, something that many artists wanted to do unless we had more control over it. So we uh, eventually moved to a, a situation where we would take a full split from the stage. We would do our own mix and master on the fly, and you would have literally the closest thing to a studio recording um, but out on the road and available as you walked out, you know, walked out of the door. Um, obviously, there are always artists that have been concerned about what if I mess up on stage or, um, you know, singing the wrong lyrics, whatever. Singing the wrong lyrics, and the you know the kind of key thing is, and I, I kind of use the uh, the rush example. You know, these are guys that will spend two hundred thousand dollars in the studio getting a perfect mix. You know, they'll do overdubs and things like this, and then that product in the old model would go out to retail and they'd sell X millions of copies or whatever. Um, our model is completely different than that. You know, what we're doing is we're selling an experience. You know, we want the fans a souvenir. We want, we want you to take that experience home with you. There's no reason the concert should end when you walk out of the door. Um, so really the kind of the, 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 the point is that there is a balance between how much you're going to spend producing that product versus the return on the investment and how many people are going to actually buy that product and walk out with it. And once you kind of think about it in that frame, when, you know, we're selling a limited number of products um, and we're not making this a quote unquote live album, it's more of a memorabilia product, um, then it really starts to make sense. And the artists are saying, yeah, I get that. You know, um, great example. We did Kenny Loggins probably in 2005 or so. Um, and, uh, I think we only maybe did one or two shows with him, but on one of the shows, he had a huge mess up right in the middle of one of his songs and he literally stopped and he talked about it and said, Hey, we're recording this. We're doing disc live with it. And, you know, the fans went nuts. You know, he laughed about it and had a good time and went back into his song and that edition sold out, you know, and it's one of those things that makes it uniquely personal and provides yeah, a match. Absolutely. So as a fan well, as a fan, we like that. As Michael mentioned, you know, I've purchased a lot of these uh, live recordings from shows that I go to, and it's a souvenir. It's like, wow, remember that they played this song that they didn't play in the last set, and you know, somebody messed up on the lyrics. To me, that 
that's cool. That's really neat to kind of see that these guys are human. And that's not the kind of thing that you would get in a traditional live album. To Michael's point, most people will go in and sweeten it and re-record the solo or whatever. But it's no different than somebody at a concert holding up their iPhone and recording a version of the song. You know, they're going to get a mistake in there. And it's just a souvenir that's, you know, of that thing. I think it's awesome. I wish more of uh, my favorite artists did it because I would purchase it on most of the shows that I go to. Have, have you know, you made a, go, go, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, you made a good point is that, you know, 10 years ago when we really first started doing this, uh, you didn't have the ability, you know, to hold up your phone and, and record it. This day and age, everybody does it. You go to a show and everybody's got their phones in the air, they're recording it. You know, and to me, that's two things. One is the artist is having their work. Um, shared and not getting compensated for it. Uh, secondly, um, you're distracting. I mean, it's distracting to hold your phone up and watch the little screen rather than watch the concert that you came yeah. you know, to visit. And I like to think that we have a solution for that, you know, and that, you know, you, you know, these artists are going to make mistakes, but it's going to be mistakes are going to be made. They're going to be captured on a cell phone and uploaded to Facebook. Whereas right. If we're recording it, you're at least going to have a very high quality recording, you know, even if there's a screw up in there and you're going to make right. money. On it. So right. And you were right. I mean, it's a different product. It's not a live album. I went to a show recently where they made everybody check their phones. There was no recording allowed because yeah. it was a private event. And I got to tell you, that event was amazing because you could actually remember those days where you stood there and watched the show and interacted. You weren't distracted. And look, I'm as guilty as anybody. When I go to a show, sometimes I'm a photographer. Sometimes I'll whip out my iPhone just to get the crowd or get the intro of the band or something. I, I mean, we all do it. But this strikes me as something that maybe you could do an event and not allow cell phones, but then they could still take home something later that they could enjoy. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I feel the same way about it. Have you had any instances where an artist has said, um, I, I can't let tonight's recording go out, or I need to review this before you release it? Is, that, is, is giving the artist the ability to review it before you release it even feasible? Uh, not usually. Um, normally, the way that we frame it is that this is a, it's a live show. You know, it's going to go out, and once it's out, it's gone. It's just like live television. Or live um, radio back in the day when we were growing up, we would hear a live concert. Like, this is live on FM whatever. It's going out live, and if somebody, you know, hits the wrong note, it's it's out there. Exactly. Now, we have limited availability to fix certain things. For instance, if we're doing a run of shows on a concert, and there's a song that's played badly or something. We can always go in on the fly and swap that track out for another track from a different night. You know, don't like doing that because it's a little bit, you know, changes the experience. But if the artist says, Hey, that's terrible. We either want to take it out or we'll swap it out. We'll, we'll do that. And honestly, in the, all the years I've done this, I think that's maybe happened twice, you know, so it's a very rare, um, you know, occasion that something actually does go wrong. And our crew, you know, we're basically embedded with the band's crew. You know, so if something happens, you know, they're going to know on the radios immediately if something's wrong so we can fix it on the fly. The, you it. know, one, one of the other big questions I had, and, and I can't remember if Disc Live did this or not, but um, Jay and I are both big Kiss fans. And years ago, Kiss did 
a tour. And I don't know if it was was it Disc Live or Instant Live. Instant Live, Instant Live Instant which Live. which Instant Live was what a Live Nation or somebody's. Initially, it was it was Clear Channel. Clear Channel. There and, you go. Yeah, and then uh, then eventually it kind of morphed into Live Nation Studios, and eventually that kind of went away. Yeah, kind of kind of disappeared. But anyway, when that was happening. It was, it, again, as a fan, it was the coolest thing in the world. And, you know, not only were you getting the disc of the show you went to, but now it became, I need to collect the discs of every show on this tour. And, you know, somewhere at home, I've got a stack this big of a re- recording from every single show on the tour. Um, oh, and, froze and, up, and, Michael. Did I freeze? I can see. Yeah, just okay. for a moment. No, if, um, it's okay, if it's okay on your side, Michael, then we'll okay. just keep rolling. Um, so anyway, the fans loved it for that tour, but KISS didn't do that in any follow-up tours. And my understanding was it became a rights issue in that the record label had the rights to KISS recordings at a, for a period of time after that. So therefore, you know, a live recording is a live album. And the, the if you're li- under contract, If you're right? under contract with a label. So is that an issue you also are running into that... That record labels are going, no, 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 wait a second. We have the rights to this artist's recording, and you can't do this. Or if you're going to do it, you got to cut us in. Yeah, so we don't normally have a lot of issues with that. Um, and I do remember the issue, I think it was with Universal, that yeah. uh, the Kiss had for a certain amount of time. Um, but I think that was part of actually a broader issue, and I can't remember what it was. It was a whole big rights mess. Um, but normally what we'll do is if we have an artist that we're – looking at working with, we're going to contact the artist first, and then we're going to get their sign off on it. And if they have their publishing sitting with a record label or somebody else, then we're going to go out and get the permission, you know, for that as well. Um, Many times we've done this, the label will not ask for anything because it's not like we're going out to retail with it. You know, it's a smaller amount of ancillary revenue. Um, and, And a couple occasions, I think we have, you know, cut the label in. But we've never really had a situation where they just say say no. You know, I mean, we we go to the artist first, and if the artist wants to do it, then they can usually convince the label that they want to do that. Well, let's get back a little bit to my my previous question about how does that work? Like, I'm going to a show, you know, I'm going to one of these shows. When I walk in, is it at the merch booth? You know, how how do I know that this is happening? Number one, sure. and then walk us through the process of a fan going in saying, oh, this is available, making that purchase, and then the whole kind of night. How does that go? So from um, strictly on being on the ground at the venue, um, we are very uh, progressive in our in our grassroots marketing. So when you walk in the venue, you're going to hit with get hit by one of our people passing flyers out and telling you the show's available you know, for purchase. You can pick it up after the show's over. You can buy a voucher if it's a physical product. Um, in some instances, we'll have a card that you can use a code to get the download to the phone. You know, Do the so artists ever announce it from the stage? Absolutely. Yeah, we always yeah. encourage artists to announce from the stage. Some artists uh, are too cool to do that. <laughs> um, but, you know, we're, we're still uh, very aggressive when it comes to that. Put posters up everywhere, put flyers up. And rather than have the guys at the merch booth sell it by themselves, which we'll, we'll, we'll allow them to sell the product, we still have our on-site experts there to educate people 
and to teach them and to help them if they want to download the app and, and things like that to, to make it easier. If um, I didn't bring my credit card to the show for whatever reason, could I go on to a website the next day and still be able to do it or can you only do it at the venue? Absolutely do it on, on, on site or on, on, on the web. You know, in fact, um, uh, kind of to, to roll it back a little bit, um, one of the things that we've always done that is really probably why the reason we're one of the only ones still around that does this is we're very active in the pre-marketing stage before the, the tour even starts. So ideally, we want to have our products up and available for pre-sale long before the tour starts. And we work with social, uh, you know, social media and the artists and the artist website to really you know, get that message out there ahead of time because that's when the most excitement is going to be. In some instances, we've been able to uh, bundle it with uh, a ticket. Yeah, that was my next question. Yeah, you yeah, have done that. Yeah, that's ultimately, you know, if this gets to the point where it, it really reaches a watershed moment, um, one of the things I've always wanted to do is when you go to a concert, you should always walk out with some kind of content. And it's still probably going to take a while to get, get there. But uh, with the Pixies, for example, we did um, the VIP ticket sales were about 10% of all tickets sold. Uh, we included a download um, with the t- purchase of the ticket, full show download. And in that um, ticket price, I think they carved somewhere between five and eight bucks out for for us that went back to the artist. So it's a it's pretty pretty good deal. Who owns the recordings afterwards? Do you have a window of exclusivity and then the rights revert to, you know, the rights holder? Or how does that work? Could they put out a live album the year after and include some of that material? So typically, what we try to do is uh, the rights do stay with the uh, with the artist. We do not claim. Um, but we do have an ex- exclusivity time period that can range from, you know, six months to two, three years or whatever. It depends on, on the scope of the deal. And if they want to use any of that content, you know, um, for anything else like a live record or a commercial or whatever, uh, we just ask for a small override. You know, and sometimes we'll waive that entirely. You know, we're real, real artist friendly. We want people to get their, their work out there and make money on it at the end of the day. Zach, what's the... What's the biggest hurdle you're encountering to have this product break out and show up? What, you know, why isn't that at every, every show? It just it's it's a logical item for every concert, yet it's it's still rare to find them. Yeah, yeah, it's been an, um, a long, slow burn, and I think it's really starting to. It's going to take off in the next probably uh, year to two years. Um, but what what I think some of those hurdles have to do with really are rest more with the artist's confidence and their ability to play um, and their fear of having a disastrous night and then having that end up on a record. But as we briefly talked about earlier, everybody's recording now and it's going to be out there. So I think that's a that's a, actually a huge change in the mentality that there has been in that they know they're being recorded. But this way they can make money. And right. I think this will allow that barrier to kind of drop a little bit. Are your clients typically just artists in management or do you have any label clients? We, we, we do have label clients. So, you do? Yeah. yeah we worked with, uh, we've worked with all labels. Matter of fact, for a period of three, three and a half years, we were um, affiliated, aligned. I don't know what you want to call it, but we were in business with uh, EMI as Abbey Road Live. You know, so that was my company behind Abbey Road Live, and we and we did that. Um, so we play well with all the all the labels. They know us, uh, the artists and the management companies 
we've been around so long that they trust us and they know that the work we're going to do is going to be quality work. Do you have any um, criteria for artists that you will work with? Meaning, does it have to be a tour of X amount of dates? Will you do a one-off date? Does it have to be at least X amount of tickets sold? Um, you know, what, what can, can the, the small indie band that's doing three dates do something with you? So absolutely. Um, from the indie standpoint, the ZFM platform was really originally designed for the indie market. So there are tools that indie artists can download from the ZFM website and record themselves and keep the lion's share of um, the monies that, you know, that they would render from any sales of the product. So we have a studio app that you can download to your iPad that you can um, you know, plug into your soundboard. You can, you can run a small interface and kind of do the disc live thing with it. Um, but it allows independent artists to do basically the same thing that we do with our pro artists. Um, upload that music, you know, sell it online, sell it on the on their mobile device. You know, so in terms of the digital platform, there really is no limit to who can use use the platform or the size of the venue or the number of people. Now, if we if we engage as the production um, uh, behind the artist, we have to have a certain number of fans in the audience in order to make that economically feasible. Yeah, you know, and tips is yeah, sweet spot is usually a thousand seats or over. Sometimes yeah. we'll go below that if it's a really hardcore. Because um, you're bringing a truck and a team, and there's costs involved. Yeah, and you know we don't even bring a truck anymore. I mean, we we we've dialed it down so much that we can get everything in road cases. You know, so right. if we go if we go with a band. We load our equipment on their their equipment truck, and it travels with the band. We either you know our small crew will either ride the bus or we'll take a rental. And then and you just plug into the board and get some ambient audio? We try to do it a little bit more sophisticated than that now. Uh, obviously, the equipment has changed a lot in the last 10 years. It's a lot more, it's a lot smaller, and we can get a lot more for the buck. So we can literally get a, a full mix and mix it in a, in a box on, on a Mac, you know, wow. approaches, you know, and then output that. So some, something like that where you guys are, are putting the production out on the road, are there costs that the artists will be out of pocket to, to do this or, or, or is this, is this a, a rev split revenue split on sales? Yeah, it's typically a revenue split. Um, we never charge the artist for anything. It, all the costs that we have come out of uh, our sales and we have got the business dialed into a point where we really have specific, we know exactly what it's going to cost. And those costs are really nominal compared to a lot of other live production facilities. So, so, the, um, so, the, so the artist will never have to to pay to have your guys out on the road, and and that, that you're, you're taking care of all of that. Correct. Okay. Correct. So we take you know, and, you know, if they want to do something different, if they want to say, hey, we just want to pay you, you know, and uh, come do this for us, you know, we'll do that too. But typically, we try to work with the artists as a mutual partnership. So that if we work together and keep our costs uh, reduced, the artist makes more money and then we make more money. Yeah, I mean, because typically my experience has been with artists over the years, you know, they don't want to pay anything out of pocket. (laughs) (laughs) If if, if you you can give them what they want and they don't have to pay for it up front, great. We'll we'll do it. We'll do it. No problem. Exactly. And, you know, the other big thing is that, you know, there's a lot of moving parts in a, in a, in a major tour, you know, got the, you got the promoters, got the unions, you've got the, 
um, uh, the, the manager, the label, I mean, just all this endless chain of people that you have to deal with or organizations. So that's another thing that a lot of people don't realize. It's very complicated. It's all, almost as complicated, if not more complicated, the actual technical aspects of oh, getting yeah. yep. the CDs out to the folks at, at the show. Oh, yeah, Get, getting, getting, getting approvals and permissions are the hard part, and, and being able to, to stay on top of that on the road. Again, the artist is like, great, but I don't want my, my lawyer to have to incur costs to get you exactly. permissions to do this. If you... If if you can go out and do this, and it's you just show up at the door and say we're set to go and everything's legal, awesome. Yeah, exactly. Plug and plug and play. Plug and play. Do you ever run into any problems with like union venues and you know things oh, yeah. like that? Oh yeah. yeah. You know uh, the the union model, the IATC model, um, is based on the old notion of I'm recording a live record in this establishment and you're right. going to sell it to million people. So therefore, we're going to charge you several thousand dollars or whatever just for the right to come in here and record it. And we've, we've gotten out of most union fees these days. There's still a few tough unions, local one, obviously, and local two and three, uh, respectively. Um, but I think everybody in the entire chain of live music is starting to understand that the economics have changed, the business models have changed. And there has to be some ad adaptation going sure. with that. But there's been a couple of high-profile cases where, for instance, we did um, 110 shows with Peter Frampton all around the world. And um, we were playing a venue out in California, and the union wanted to charge an outlandish amount of money for us to sell a few hundred CDs on site. And we told Peter about it, and you know, we, did, we ended up not being able to record because of it. But Peter went on Facebook and made a huge you know, to-do about it. And complain bitterly, and things seem to get a little bit better after that. Yeah, you know, you know, as as you tell that story, I want to say I think I remember a couple stories like that when when Kiss did it with, oh, yeah. with with Instant Live. There were a couple venues where fans were pissed that it wasn't available, and then afterwards the word was, "Well, we couldn't do it because the union cost prohibitive. Yeah, the union wouldn't let us do it here. You know." Yeah, yeah, and it's you know it's gotten it's gotten better. You know, but certainly back in the day it was. Very, very frustrating, and there were numerous cases where we had to either pay an origination fee or, you know, union fees and things like that. But it, it's much better now. Now, you know, after the tour's done and everything, do you have a? Is there an online store where people can come come and purchase all of the artists you've worked with? Do you service? Do you distribute the digital recordings into iTunes and Amazon and everything else? Yeah, so we do. Um, with with DiscLive, um, we do have a consumer-facing website, disc, disclive.net, D-I-S-C-L-I-V-E.net, where you can buy all the recordings. Um, the digital versions are based on whatever rights we negotiate with the artists. So some we uh, we provide downloads and some we do not. Um, some we, we've done uh, strictly like a USB, like we did Alter Bridge and did a USB uh, offering. But all that's available on the disclive.net website. And then the we're starting to move the digital content over to the ZFM platform, you know. So you'll see a couple of the disc live artists on the ZFM platform now. But as we move forward and start recording more artists, and it's a pure digital play, it's always going to be on the ZFM website. Gotcha. Is this is this something where you could see these recordings ending up in Apple Music and Spotify? 
Is, is, is streaming a, uh, a destination for these recordings? I think once we get enough, um, once we get enough content, we've got some other content that we're working on, some exclusive content. Um, we have long thought about having a channel devoted to uh, disc, disc live artists and live artists that we've worked with. So that's absolutely in the in the in the plans. This is awesome. I, I, again, as I said at the very beginning, as a fan, this excites me. I mean, it's yeah. just, it is it is the coolest souvenir from a live concert because, yeah. I, you know, I've always told, you know, friends, it's like, if you were on a live album, I can sit here and say, well, I'm screaming in the background on this album. And I was there. I was there. I was there. This is the recording of the show I was at. There's nothing cooler than that. And, nope. And, you know, as a fan... We know to what extent we'll go to find the crappy bootleg recording just so we can have a crappy bootleg recording of the show we were at. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. You know, if, if, you give, if you give me the opportunity to walk in and painlessly drop a credit card for, I don't know, 25 30 bucks, and as I walk <laughs> out, I get the, the recording, I'm like, thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and, and one of the, the, the things that I love about this the most and why I'm still pull to the dark side, if you will. I've been doing this now for 14 years and, and seeing the expression on the fans' faces when, you know, they get the CD and they're looking at it and they're like, did you do, do this just now? And we're like, yeah. And how, did you, like, how did you do that? Wow. Do that. And I'm, that's, yeah. It's magic. The, that's what the, we The did. lights haven't yeah. even come up in the venue and you're giving me a recording. Yeah. And you understand that fan mentality. I mean, I hunted for years for my first few shows, and I was so thrilled to get it. So some of these people, it may be their first concert. It may be just a very special concert. It may be their favorite artist. There's so many reasons why this souvenir is something that they'll cherish. But you're right. It's a different product. It's not like Frampton Comes Alive. The people that are buying these shows from the tour, they're hardcore fans. They're, they're the uh, heart and soul of the fan base. And what, what's interesting, though, is that it, 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 in a merchandise situation like T-shirts and things like that, you're lucky to sell 2 to 3% of or convert 2 to 3% of people in that venue. Our typical conversion is about 15%. Wow. I was just going to ask you, what, what, is, what is your conversion? If, if, if you're at a shed and there's 10,000, 15,000 people, what, what's your conversion of people walking out picking it up? Yeah, so a, a shed, we probably can convert 8 to 10% based on physical capacity of what we can produce on site. Yeah. So we can, do, we can do 1,000 CDs within 20 minutes after the show and about the same number of, uh, of USB drives. Obviously, digital, we don't have that, well, that limitation. Gonna, and I was going to say, I suppose you are eager to move this as quickly as possible to pure digital because the restrictions of, of, of pressing up and getting CDs ready. I mean, I, I, I even, again, remember when KISS did it. It was a two-CD disc, and, mm -hmm. and they could only give you disc one as you were walking out. Disc two was going to be mailed to you because they just couldn't press the CDs fast enough at right. the venue. Well, and, you know, there's a, there's a yes and a no side of that, right? Because, you know, it's a demographic thing, right? So I, you go, you have people that go to a Miley Cyrus show. They're probably going to use the, the digital download on the phone. You go to um, a Bad Company is a great example. We work with Bad Company. You know, their fans are you know my age or older. They like the physical product. I was going to say they, they they probably want a vinyl. Can can I have this recording on a <laughs> double vinyl LP as I walk out? <laughs> it might be two months later. But yeah, I mean. 
you know, that think that's um, it's a very demographic based thing, and yeah. people have been predicting the demise of CDs for years, and they're not going to go away anytime, anytime soon. I mean, there's something about being able to touch it, look at it, feel it, show it to your friends, you know, and and read the liner notes and stuff like that that you just can't get from listening to it on a digital oh, device. De 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 definitely. I could just I was just commenting based on the fact that you could push more product out if you didn't have to create a physical item. If if yeah. people just even a USB stick. I mean, you can copy file the digital files to USB a lot faster than you can press up CDs. Now, there's definitely there's a lot of advantages, and I think that you know that the the mobile evolution for this business is I mean it's the, definitely the next step in the evolution of of what we've been doing for so long, um, and I think that it offers a lot more scale, obviously, you know, and a lot more revenue opportunity for the artists that decide to do this. But there's kind of like you know you want to have a product suite, you know, you want to do a limited edition CD, or maybe you want to do a vinyl that they can buy from. You know, we, we partner with Pledge Music, so, you know, Pledge, uh, we can offer vinyl products through Pledge. Um, and there's a myriad of different things we can do, and I consider the, the recording itself to be the touchstone of the entire opportunity of what we can actually offer um, to fans post-concert. Yep. So where, where, where can people get more information? How do they contact you if they've got questions or they want to they talk to you about doing a, a recording? Sure, just go uh, to venue.com, V-N-U-E.com, and there's a contact form to fill out, and that will get routed to uh, one of my team. And uh, we get back with them pretty much, you know, within a day or so. That's awesome. Thanks. We're, we're always, looking for, always looking to do more stuff. Yeah, that's exciting. This is great stuff. Awesome. I, again, again, I love it, and, you know, I encourage any artist who's listening to this, it's like, Think about it's it from the fans the, want. Think about it from the fan standpoint. This is what the fans yeah. want. They want this. I do, and, and I really I want to encourage any you know independent artists that are listening or watching rather um, to make sure and go out to the set.fm website. It doesn't cost anything, you know, to to sign up on the website, and you you uh, get I think seventy five percent of your revenue. Um, and you use the same tools that we use to record our professional artists, so it's a it's a it's a great deal. Good, all right, great. Zach. Appreciate you taking the time and thanks so us. much, man. Oh, thank you so much. I, I definitely you. appreciate it myself. Take care. Right, thanks. Thanks. Thank, thank you. Again, you know, my Jay, my excitement is is pretty obvious. I love this stuff. I do too. If I could buy yeah. a recording of every show I went to that I loved the show, yeah. Um, I, I would do it. It's just, it's a no-brainer for me as a music fan to, to do this stuff. If you're a real fan, a hardcore fan of a band, these this is gold. You know, this is that type of thing where, and if you're not, some people won't understand that you want to have every date on the tour, you know. Um, but as a true fan, you know, especially if your favorite artist is mixing up their set list a little bit, having guest artists, whatever it is, playing large venue, small venue, mixing things up, I just I love these things. I I think it's a a great thing, and I'm glad there's somebody who's still doing it. Yeah, same here, same here. All right, guys, that's it. All right, another episode of the Music Biz Weekly Podcast brought to you by HypeBot.com. See you next week. Love them. <laughs>